Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, amen. Amen. Oh, you can do better than that, church. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, listen, worship is a celebration, not a toleration. Amen. Amen. I want to say publicly how much I love your He is one of the greatest pastors, in my opinion, in the entire country. He's a visionary leader. He's a friend. But most of all, he's a man of God. And I love you, Pastor. We were just talking about it's probably been seven or eight years since we've been in service together. Actually, at church, in service together. And he pastored me for several years, uh, probably six or so years. And he was also the uh, uh, pastor advisor when I was the president of all the evangelists in the nation. So uh, he had a lot of duties and responsibilities that year. And so I can honestly say, uh, having been pastor of all the evangelists, uh, bottom line, we've seen the good, bad, and the ugly together. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, leading evangelists is like herding cats. It's not the easiest job in the world to do. Amen? I love being back at Peavine. I love Peavine. Peavine is like an oasis to me. It's a great church. It's a soul-winning church. You're encouraging. You're generous. But I also appreciate that you have a sense of humor. Amen? I go to a lot of Baptist churches around the country. They don't all have a sense of humor. You'll tell a little story and a little funny, and they'll just kind of look at you like, like one of the darlings from Mayberry. Amen? Amen? Folks, listen, God's got a sense of humor. He created us with a sense of humor. You don't believe it. Some of you need to look in the mirror today. Amen. I remember hearing a story about Muhammad Ali and his heyday when he was going on a trip. He got on a jet airplane and shortly the stewardess came by and she looked at him. She said, Mr. Ali, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt. He very sarcastically and arrogantly shot back and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked at him and she said, Superman don't need no plane. (laughs) Folks, none of us here this morning are supermen. Listen, we're just old clay pots. And this morning, the title of the message, if you'll turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 18, is the potter's precious pots. You know, I believe with all my heart that every church needs renewal and revival every Sunday because we spend the week in the world, amen? Now, here's the thing. When a, when a preacher comes in or an evangelist comes in, churches have a tendency to think, well, you know, he's going to bring revival out of his briefcase. He's going to pull revival out of his hip pocket. Can I tell you something, church? Revival does not come from a briefcase. Revival does not come from a preacher. Revival comes from heaven one heart at a time. But we are free will agents. 
Listen, we've got to make up our mind and we've got to say, Lord, if nobody else in this place gets touched today, let it be me. If nobody else in this place today gets refreshed, let it be me. If nobody else in this place today gets renewed, Lord, let it be me. We've got to make up our mind. Man, that we want a fresh touch of God. That, that we're not satisfied with the status quo. Stand with me as we honor God's word today. Jeremiah 18 and 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Father God, we love you and praise you. God, we just pray today, God, that you would reshape us and remold us. God, in the, in the vessel that's pleasing to you, not man. God, we just pray today for a fresh touch. We pray today, God, for the one that's here lost, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would intersect at each and every need. We pray today for great liberty and freedom, Lord, to, to preach the word, to receive the word, and most importantly, God, to respond obediently to the word. Lord, I praise you and thank you. Lord, I pray today you'd bind the evil one from this place. Lord, I, I pray today for great liberty. Lord, and I pray for a fresh anointing. God, I pray you station angels all around this church. Lord, touch and bless the homes that are here and the ones that are represented. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Folks, I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons that people are not coming to the local church today is they been. Amen? And the average church bored them out of their mind. Man, listen, I believe that we ought to come to church expecting. We ought to come anticipating. We ought to come down here excited. I heard a story one time about these two ladies that had been to the church. And, and, and the church was on fire. And, and man, the flames were just licking the sky. And one lady, there were two out in the middle of the parking lot, and one just turned around to the other one, and she said, I don't recall ever seeing you around here before. And the other one shot back and said, I don't recall this place ever being on fire before. Amen. Folks, listen, if the church is on fire, people are going to come to see her burn. I believe with all my heart what we've got to do is we've got to come expecting the reason so many people are not coming to the potter's house like they did 20, 30, 40 years ago is because we don't have people in the church expecting. We don't have people in the church anticipating. Man, looking for a word from God. Looking for a touch from God. Anticipating people getting saved. Man, we've got a bunch of leisure junkies today in our culture. Man, they get paid. Man, listen, they, they, they want to... Run to the movie house and run to the steakhouse. They're too wore out to come to God's house on Sunday morning. That's why they're running down to the steakhouse. Listen, it's like a stampede out of an average Baptist church at 12 o'clock. Because they're wanting to rush out and beat the Methodists down to the Shoney's. Amen? Can I tell you something? You better know where you're going if you choke on that steak. Amen? Folks, listen, I believe with all my heart what we've got to do is get over being leisure junkies. Man, quit giving God a tip.
but give him our best. Man, asking God for something great in our life, something great in our church. We've got to quit coming up with those excuses on Saturday night why we're not going to go on Sunday morning. Well, I'm coming down with a backache again. I think I worked in the yard too much. Oh, I got that migraine again. Hey, could it just be that we're backslidden and lazy? Amen. And we're not giving God our best. Man, just imagine this. What would happen if a pastor said, everybody that shows up in that parking lot next week going to get a free trip to Hawaii? Man, we'd have deacons out there with flower lays on. Amen. They'd be out there going, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because they would be excited about where they're going. Man, that's how we need to be about church on Saturday night. Man, I can't wait to see what the preacher's going to preach. I can't wait to see what he's going to say. I can't wait to see who's going to get saved. Man, it changed things up in here. Amen. All of a sudden, the pastor say, turn in your Bibles. About 30 of you stand up. High glory. You'd think you've been out in the parking lot smoking crack. Amen. Folks, listen, I believe that we ought to come excited because we ought to be the potter's precious pots. Aren't you glad that the Lord's still at the wheel? He's still shaping you. He's still molding you. He's not through with you. In other words, you've not arrived. He's still sanctifying. He's still sharpening. He's still getting you where he wants you to be. But we're free will agents. Man, we can make up our mind and we can say, hey, I'm just going to take myself off the wheel. I've done enough. I've been in church 20 years. I've taught Sunday school. I've done this. I've sang specials. I've done more than most people. Or we can say, Lord, just keep on shaping me. Keep on molding me. Make me into the vessel you want me to be. Not that pleases man, but pleases you. Well, we got a lot of different kind of pots in the church. We got some ugly pots. Oh, not this church, another church I've been preaching at. But, but you know them old ugly pots? They come into church and they kind of look like a wrinkled up Sharpay puppy. <laughs> Looking at you and you say, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, I got the joy of the Lord in my heart. <laughs> you feel like saying, well, notify your face. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Folks, I mean them ugly pots, man, listen. You might be today one of those ugly pots, and you don't even know when it happened. Man, you used to be a blessing, now you're a burden. Man, you used to be full of joy. You used to be excited. You used to see the glass half full, now you see it half empty. You used to be an optimist, now you're a pessimist. Man, it might have been a crisis that you went through. It might have been just the overwhelming pressure of life. But I want to remind you something this morning. The ones that you're hurting the most are the ones you love the most. They're the ones that have to take the effect of that bad attitude. Man, I heard somebody one time, they were talking, their father-in-law, talking about his daughter, his bride. And he said, man, that daughter of yours, I'm telling you what. She's one of the meanest old women in the whole county. She's always got something negative to say. She's always heavy. She's always, what do you think about that? And the father-in-law just turned to the son-in-law and he said, well, the best I can tell, she wasn't like that 30 years ago when I gave her to you. <laughs> Man, you can have an adverse effect on people. Man, what we've got to do is make up and determine in our mind that we are going to be, listen, 
the potter's precious pot. We're not going to be an ugly pot anymore. Can I tell you something? There is good news for you. If you're an ugly pot, all you got to do today is get up, come down this altar and say, Lord, I'm in need of a spiritual facelift. And can I tell you something? The Lord Jesus was into makeovers a long time before NBC. Amen? All we've got to do is trust him. All we've got to do is say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Lord, once again, I want to be a blessing, not a burden. We've got some that are prissy pots. You know, it's notice me, notice me. It's all about them. It's, hey, did, did you see my, my new ring, my new car? Hey, did you see my, my new Bible with my name on it? You know, they're all surface and no substance. Folks, can I tell you something? If you're going to work together, if pots are going to work together in the church, they're going to bump up against one another. They're going to get chipped. Listen, they're going to get cracked. Some of you say, you got me, I'm a crack pot. <laughs> But, but man, listen, if you're going to work together, you're going to take some damage. Amen? You've got to have substance. You've got to have a tough hide and a tender heart. Too many Baptists have got that inverted. Man, they've got a tender old hide. Anytime something doesn't go their way, anytime they get their feelings hurt, they take their Bible and go home. And they pitch a pity party. And man, they've got a rugged old heart. Can't even tell you the last time they've been to an old-fashioned altar. Man, you know why a lot of people don't come to an altar anymore? Well, I don't want to go down that altar. I go down that altar. They might think I'm a sinner. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Folks, everybody here this morning's a sinner. Man, listen, you're either a sinner saved by grace on your way to heaven or a sinner, listen, on your way to a devil's hell. But make no doubt about it. You are a sinner. Man, we've got to get over ourselves. Sometimes the biggest enemy in our life is looking at us in the mirror in the morning. And we're trying to blame the devil. And the devil's sitting over there, don't put that on me. <laughs> That's you, boss. <laughs> Man, listen, what we've got to do is just get over our pride, get over ourselves, and say, Lord, I want to be in your hand. I want to be soft clay in your hand that you can shape and you can mold. You can make me like you want me and use me, God. Use me where and when you want to use me. Man, God will do great and mighty things with you. We have a tendency to, to, to deify the people in the Bible like Peter. Oh, Peter. Man, I went in a big building recently and I saw a statue of Peter. He looked like an effeminate. Man, Peter wasn't a, an effeminate. <laughs> Peter was a man's man. He was a fisherman. Man, out there pulling in those nets, calloused hands. Can you imagine? There were probably other young preachers that wanted to preach Pentecost. But Peter had just cut a ear off a few days before. Hey, hey let's let Pete preach if he wants to. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Folks, these were ordinary people that submitted themselves fully to God that God used in extraordinary ways. And he can use us too. Man, we've got people today that are dirty pots. There's a sin in your life that's keeping you from being effective in the kingdom. Man, I remember one time when my girls were small. My oldest is 21, about to get married. I've got one 18 graduating this year. The one that's 18, when she was about five or six, we were going down the road to pick up her sister from school. 
Man, I heard this precious little voice in the back say, Daddy, I need to pray. She'd been asking a lot of questions about salvation. I thought she was about to get saved. I was ready to pull that car over to the side and lead her to the Lord. I look in that rearview mirror and I see those big bright eyes just looking up at me. And I said, well, honey, what do you need to pray about? She said, Daddy, I'm a liar. I just lie all the time. I said, well, praise God. Me and your mama knew it. I'm glad you, God convicted you. Amen. Folks, let me tell you, at the tender age of five, that child, number one, admitted she was a sinner. And she knew who to take it to. Man, what happens to us when we get older? We get those pride walls and we refuse when we clearly hear that still small voice. We refuse to obey. Go to that altar. Well, Lord, there's nobody down there. He may want to use you as a catalyst to get others down there. Give. Go. Praise. Folks, I believe with all my heart what we need to do is not hear another message. We just need to start living the ones we've already heard. Man, we just need to start being obedient. And when God says do something, do something. Be obedient children. We've got a lot of damage pots in the church. I remember when I came home from preaching, man, I'm on the road a lot. And when I'm home, I'm home. I hang with my wife, hang with my kids. We have fun. Man, I'd been in 2004. I'd been preaching at the convention. I came home. I was so excited. Man, the girls were excited. I was home. And they were just little. And we just had a, a, a baby, my son. I had Jake in my arms and I was going down the stairs and I got to what I thought was the bottom step because the girls were down there going, Daddy, Daddy, come play. Man, I got to what I thought was the bottom step and I missed the last step. Man, I pulled back to keep from hitting his head on the doorpost and that leg folded up under me and all my weight went down on that leg. You missed that, church. All my weight went down on that leg. Man, I heard it rip. As I felt it, listen, I, I hobbled my way in, into the emergency room. Now, I don't know what your emergency room experience has been like, but mine was a real blessing. Amen? <laughs> I had one of them ugly pots out there as a receptionist. Can you see her? Amen? I, I said, ma'am, I asked some, some what I thought were important, pertinent questions, and, and that lady just looked at me and she said, Hi! My only job is to make sure nobody dies out here in this lobby. I said, well, by all means, ma'am, do your job well tonight. I don't want to be a casualty of this lobby. And, man, after a while, listen, I kept my sense of humor. They come and wheel me back to the x-ray, and the x-ray technician looked at me, and she said, Mr. Fawcett, if you would, would you hop up on this table? I said, ma'am, I don't know everything that's going to go on here tonight, but me hopping ain't part of it. <laughs> So she managed to get the x-ray and then she wheeled me out to my wife. And, and I, I got out to my wife in the reception and I, I looked at her and I'd had time by this time to think about the accident. I, I said, honey, you know, the girls were at the bottom of the stairs. The little man was in, in my hand. I said, you were behind me. Did you push me? She said, no, you had my baby in your hands. <laughs> 
Folks, I want you to know I had a great young surgeon. I was scheduled to go to Africa and preach on a lot of different venues there in eight weeks. But I had a great young surgeon. He went in there. Man, he repaired that quadricep. He drilled two holes in that knee. He repaired that tendon. He sutured that tendon back together. And he, he got me able to go on that trip. And I was able to make that mission trip to Africa. But here's what they told me. They told me that that was the mechanism that allows me to raise and lower my leg. To go up and down stairs. And I could have opted to have not had the surgery. But if I would not had the surgery, my leg would have healed. But it would have healed straight and deformed. And it never would have achieved the purpose for which God made it. Some of you have been damaged. Man, maybe at home, maybe when you were a child. Maybe in work, out in the world, maybe even in church. But instead of going to the great physician and say, Lord, I'm in need of a, of a spiritual repair. I'm in need of a touch. You just sat down and healed where you are. And listen, you've, you've healed deformed. And you're not achieving the purpose for which God made you. Today, here's what you need to do. You need to say to God, God, I want my joy back. I, I'm tired of just existing. God, I want you to give me a fresh touch. Lord, I want to be healed. I'm going to the great physician. You know, there's three ways. It's not an exhaustive list, but three ways that I know the Lord shapes us and molds us. One with the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Man, it's been said many times. It's worth saying over and over and over again. Listen, sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Man, and we just don't need the Bible on Sunday. We need the Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We need to go into our, our quiet room and, and, and our prayer room and we need to say, Lord, illuminate my path today with your word. Strengthen me with your word. Encourage me with your word. And that's what we need today. We need a word from God. We've got a lot of people that are spiritual. What I call have spiritual eating disorders. They're spiritual anorexics. Man, it doesn't matter what you're preaching. If you're preaching from the Old Testament, New Testament. Listen, they'll just sit there and arms crossed and just look at you like, bless me if you can. About 20 of y'all just went like that. Amen. <laughs> but man, it doesn't matter. Because they're not hungry for a word from God. Then you got others, man. Anything you preach. Man, they'll be sitting there going, amen, glory. They'll meet you at the back door and say, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. But then they'll go out in the parking lot and they'll puke it all out. Never assimilate it into spiritual muscle. Folks, the reason for the preach word is not where the pastor has something to do for 30 minutes. But it's so that we can take it and assimilate it into spiritual muscle. And we can be better mamas and better daddies and better nanas and better pawpaws and better prayer warriors and better soul winners. Listen, and better kingdom members. That's the reason we need the word. Number two, the Lord has shaped us with relationships. I'll never forget when I first was born. We've got four children. Man, that first child, everybody's excited with you. Second child, they're a little less excited. Time you get to your fourth, they think you need to be medicated and institutionalized. Amen. Man, are you crazy? Four kids. But man, they're all a blessing. I remember that first one, man. Everybody runs up to the 
to the hospital and they stick their face up on that glass. And everybody always tells the same lie. That's the most beautiful newborn I've ever seen. Anybody that's ever seen a newborn knows they come out looking like a bunch of sunburned Sharpay puppies. Amen. All wrinkled up, red face. Look like alien babies. Big old pointed cone heads. Amen. But everybody always tells that same lie. I remember being in there when Mesa was born. And she came out, she was crying. The nurse, she took her and she, she cleaned her all up and got her wrapped up and put her in a bassinet. And she was still crying. I, I looked at her and I said, ma'am, can I touch her? She said, you sure can. Man, I took my, my finger and I, I stuck down in the palm of that little baby hand. She gripped the end of my finger, that little baby hand, and she stopped crying. She had me wrapped in three seconds. Man, I thought it'd take three days, three months. She did it in three seconds. I looked down that bassinet and I said, you want a car? <laughs> I'll never forget that feeling that came over me. And, and man, I had my own business. I, I was going to be Mr. Mom. I, I took care of her. And, and man, I'll never forget when my wife, she's a teacher, when her her maternity leave was up. She had to go. Man, she was so, so nervous that morning and so hesitantly left the house. And She had left me instructions, wrote down on a post-it note in the kitchen. And She went through this big line. You know, Honey, have you, have you got this? Have you got that? If you need me, there's numbers in there. Man, I was so arrogant. Oh, honey, I've been out in the world. I've had my own business. I can take care of a baby. That's a piece of cake. Man, lunchtime, my mother-in-law called the same line of questioning. I gave her the same response. I've been out in the world. I've had my own business. I can take care of a baby. That's a piece of cake. Man, I had that baby in a little swing in the living room. And I, I glanced through the house as I was on the phone with my mother-in-law. And I said, let me call you back. That baby had pooped. <laughs> oh, it gets better than that, church. It's one of them newborn baby poops. It shot out her diaper. She got a big handful of it, wiped it over her head, down her outfit, grabbed the white curtain in the back. I had left in that swing a precious angelic child only to come back eyeball to eyeball with a living, breathing poop monster. So I did what any red-blooded American male would do. I picked her up, took her outside, and hosed her down. Amen. I got her all cleaned up, got everything cleaned up, got the curtains back on the rack. And about that time, my wife came in. When I heard her walking down the hall, I still at that point didn't know what I was going to say. She turned that corner. My eyes was big as saucers. She said, how was your day? I looked at her. I said, wonderful. <laughs> Folks, can I tell you something? As a preacher friend of mine say, that was God beating the brine out of me. <laughs> God will do that. Listen, he will use relationships with that child, with that spouse. Can I get an amen? Listen, with that coworker, Even with people you don't like. You ever heard this one? Man, I can't stand to be around him. He pushes all my buttons. I can't stand to be around her. She, she brings out the worst in me. Can I tell you something? They can't bring out anything that ain't in you. If it's in the bucket, it's in the well. Amen? Folks, what we got to do is recognize those as opportunities and say, Lord, I know this opportunity that you're giving me through this relationship and this person to become more like you. Help me, God, to have more compassion, 
to have more mercy, to have more understanding, to have more love, and to project that to this person in a lost and dying world. Folks, those are three things. The third is crisis. Tragedy. Crisis and tragedy happens to all of us. I remember I was pastoring. I pastored for five years of my life. My music minister called me up and he said, man, there's been a terrible accident down on a bypass. Your friend Dudley was in an accident. You need to get to the hospital as quick as you can. Man, my friend Dudley, he was one of my best friends. We went through high school together. He was in my wedding. He was our high school's first black quarterback. He reached across racial and socioeconomic lines. Had a big giant smile. Man, he was in Beirut, Lebanon in the 80s when Hezbollah, the terrorist organization, blew up the embassy. 246 Marines lost their life. He was one that made it through that terrible tragedy. And he came home. When he came to the Chattanooga airport, man, all the media was there and friends were there. We were so close, he rode home with me. I remember getting to the hospital that day and, and, and just all the way on the bypass on the way up there, feeling in my spirit that my friend was gone. I got there, and after a little while with his dad, they came out and they pronounced my friend dead. As we were going out of that hospital that day, I remember his dad putting that big giant arm up around me and saying the words I'd heard at my nation. He said, well, at least I've got one son left. He was a deacon at a sister church. My ordination in the gospel ministry, he came and laid hands on me. And he, he said at that ordination, he said, Lord, this my other son. Would you bless him? Would you use him? Man, I knew that day they were going to ask me to do the funeral. I, I went home and I, I wrote and I cried and I wrote and I cried. But as I stood up at that funeral to do that funeral service, you could have heard a pin drop. Because unbeknownst to anybody... His mother stood up right before I preached and she draped over that coffin of that dead son. And she sang a cappella, his eye is on the sparrow. Man, I want you to know I stood up that day and I told them, I said, look, the devil's going to get no glory here today because Dudley was saved. I remember outside of a fitness center that I owned, I looked at Dudley one morning about 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, Dudley, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? He said, no, B, but I want to. I said, Dudley, listen, Jesus loved you so much that he left all the glory and splendor of heaven and he came here born of a virgin via the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, 33 and a half years. He went to that cross. Listen, on the way to that cross, he had a crown of thorns the size of my little finger shoved down in, in his head. Had his back beat completely off until his organs were exposed. Was spit on, was mauled. But listen, he took on the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, and the sin of the world. And he gave up his life. Nobody took it. And they placed him in an old barred tomb. And on the third day, he rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And I said, if you'd just ask him to come into your heart, he'd save you. I said, does that sound good to you? He said, it sure does. And he bowed his head that day, and he asked Jesus into his heart. I told that crowd that day, I said, as that uneven, that truck went off an uneven pavement and they overcorrected and it turned the truck over, it slung my friend over 30 yards to the pavement. I said, before his head ever hit the asphalt, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus were on the way to scoop him up and take him to glory. 
Because the Bible says for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Folks, I want you to know that's the most important thing you can ever do in your entire life. Listen, is know that you know that you know that you've been saved. Not hope so, not maybe so. Not 98% sure. People say, hey, I'm 98% sure I'm saved. Listen, heard old country preacher say one time, if you're 98% sure, you're probably 100% lost. Man, you got to know that you know that you know that you're saved. Listen, I'm so saved, a mosquito could bite me and he'd fly away saying there's power in the blood. Amen? <laughs> now, am I perfect? No. Do I mess up? Yes. But I'm forgiven. Folks, the most important thing today is you can know that you're forgiven. Right now, every head bowed and every eye closed. I wish I was good enough to look out here and say, hey, you're saved and you're lost. And you're saved and you're lost. But I'm not that good. But I do know this. If you're lost, if you're not sure, if you don't know that you know that you know that you've ever been saved, man, there's an unsettling feeling that comes over you. And you have to deal with it every time there's an invitation. And maybe time and time and time again you've felt this. I want you to know that's the convicting spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And you're a free will agent. You can hold your hand up and be obstinate and say thanks but no thanks. Or you can say yes Lord. Today, I want today to be the day of my salvation. Friend, if that's you today... You say, Preacher, I'm tired of fighting it. I'm just not sure. And I want to know going into this Easter Sunday this year that I'm saved. I want to know that I know that I know. I don't want to have any doubts. Maybe here this morning you say, Man, Preacher, I know I'm lost. I've never been saved. I can't go to that place that time. I want to make today the day of my salvation. Right now, if that's you, I want to just lead you in what we call in the church a simple sinner's prayer. I want you to clearly understand there's no magic words that save you. I want you to know you're not praying this prayer to Peavine Baptist Church or Georgia Baptist or Southern Baptist. You're praying this to the Lord Jesus. The one that's ready, willing, and able to save you. You say, preacher, that's what I want to do. Well, right now, I'm just going to pray aloud. You can just pray silently or, so or softly where you are to the Lord. Lord Jesus... The best way I know how today, Lord, I'm admitting that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm turning from my sin. And Lord, I'm turning to you. Today, I come trusting and believing in the finished work at Calvary. A bloody cross and an empty tomb. Lord, today, I surrender all that I am. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Right now, every head still bowed, every eye still closed, no one looking around. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.